So many cool things coming up, but we're glad that you're here today. Go with me in your Bibles to Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 130, Psalm 130. We're going to look at verses 5 through to 6. This is going to be our text for today. This is going to set us up. This is going to be the launching pad, so to speak. You got your Bibles today? Uh, if not, you'll find it on the, uh, on the screen behind me. It says this, Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in his actions. Let me try that again. I wait and I put my hope in his tangible presence. I wait and I put my hope in him parting the sky, coming down and standing right in front of me and telling me what I need to know. No, notice what it says. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and I put my hope in what? His word. His word. That I wait for him and I put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than, than watchmen for the morning. And the psalmist right here is just creating this image for us that watchmen were these people that would stand on these towers and they would literally, this is, this is the job. How about a fun job right here? You just wait for morning to happen. Like, what's your job? I stare at the horizon. <laughs> And that's what their job was. And it says that we wait upon the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And so today as we continue on our series, Hope at Last, I want to speak to you from the subject, Waiting in Hope. Waiting in Hope. As we look at how hope equips us for seasons of waiting. Will you pray with me just one more time this morning? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, and has the ability to transform us from the inside out. Speak to us now. We are listening in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, at 12 p.m. Shouted. Yes. Amen. Show of hands. Be the participating service today, okay? Show of hands. How many of you hate waiting in lines? Waiting in lines. <laughs> Everybody. Uh, 10 and 9, like 10 and 9, they, they weren't as participatory, but uh, you guys, thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, I hate waiting in lines. Uh, lines give me hives. Come on. <laughs> And uh, how many of you would just go on record with me? You would sit in my seat. Like, you would call yourself probably leaning towards more of an impatient person. Where are my impatient people at? Okay. Awesome. And so a lot of you in here. Fantastic. You came to 12, though. So you had patience for the last service of the day. I'm an impatient person. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. I want things to happen faster. I want things to happen now. Come on, am I talking to anybody? And I want it in my timing, and I want to just snap, 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 go, go. And uh, so lines are frustrating for me. Um, Earlier... Last week, I uh, went shopping. Uh, Erica had the biggins. She had my two older kids, and I had my littlest girl, Eliana. And so it was full daddy daycare. I had her stroller. I had, like, the man bag with the, with the diaper and the wipes in it. And we were rolling in deep with, uh, with just me and her. And, and I got out of the car. Now, mind you, I went to the mall on a Saturday, last Saturday. Um, that was dumb. So... <laughs> So I'm at the mall, and uh, the parking was insanity, so we're looking for a parking spot. Everything's already starting to get in, like, get frustrating. You know how you're starting to play chicken with other cars to get the parking spot? So already lines are outside. I'm trying to deal with this. So uh, we finally find a parking spot. I get her out. People are honking. Da-da-da. She's like, and I'm trying to watch her get her, get all of her stuff out. I get the stroller out. I throw her in the stroller, and we move into the store. And uh, so we're walking around the mall, and we're, we're trying to do some shopping and looking for some things. And so finally I found something, and we hopped in line. But last week in the lines were nuts. Like, it was crazy. The particular store I was in, they were, I don't know what was going on. Like, they were, like, in sell-everything sell mode um, <laughs> because that's how big the line was. And so I'm standing in line. 
deep line. Elle's w- with me in the stroller. And, uh, and I noticed something. That everybody in line, maybe you've noticed this. This is what culture's turned into. No one has their head up. Right? Everyone in line was on their phone. They were looking down. And so... Um, I decided to follow suit. <laughs> so, so I'm standing in line and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And like, what else do you do in a waiting but just sit here on your phone and you swipe right and, <laughs> and look at emails and all of these different things. And, um, what's swipe right? What's that mean? Oh, I thought it was Instagram. Isn't that right? Apparently I'm on a dating app and I didn't even know it. So... Fantastic. <laughs> Double tap, like. Heart emoji. <laughs> Shows you how cute I am in the culture. So, I'm on my phone, I'm looking at emails, and I'm on Instagram, and then Erica texts me, and how things good, good, everything's good. And I look down in the midst of this moment, and I realize that not everything was good. Elle was gone. I told you before this service, you could not say anything. She hasn't heard this story yet. <laughs> so, so I looked down. I forgot to buckle L in the, in the stroller. So I'm standing in this line on my phone. And so I looked down on my phone. I was like, oh. So my kid's gone. I'm in the line. I don't know what to do. And then there's that weird part of you. Like, don't judge me in this next comment because... You've done this before too. You're like, do I find my child or to get out of line? Like, <laughs> because let's be serious. So this line's long. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm in line, and now I start the dad panic, and I'm like, L L L L, and I'm like starting to scream, and everybody's like, what's this guy? This guy's tripping. What's going on? And everything like that. I kid you not. As soon as I got to the like the highest vocal cord of L, she pops out of the clothing rack. Hey, dad. <laughs> and I was like, you're going to die. <laughs> Scared me to death. And I'm standing in this line of frantic. Everybody's kind of like, okay, you found the child. Now we're judging you and smirking you at you. And all these other things are happening. And how many of you know, here's the weird part about our humanity. I did not blame myself. I blamed the line. Come on, you've done it before. You're like, if I wasn't standing in this stupid line, my kid wouldn't have gone missing, right? It's this weird thing in us. And the problem is this. Here's here's the issue. The issue is that we hate to wait. We hate to wait. Most of us, waiting is a lesson of futility. And it's getting increasingly difficult for our culture and society to wait. Much of our inventions and thinking is geared towards solving the problem, a perceived problem of waiting, isn't it? You ever notice that? We're eager to find ways to add time, save time, capitalize on time, slow time down. Like this is our mission and our mandate now. We create apps for it and programs for it, everything in the name of saving time, getting time, capitalizing time, time is money, all these different things. Time impacts on us on so many levels, especially when it's defined, when time is defined by waiting. Waiting causes anxiety, frustration, anger, impatience. It induces irrational thinking. Come on, somebody. And behavior. It causes us to say things that we wouldn't normally say, like in our cars. If you're in traffic on 15, to see things in ways that, would not, that we wouldn't normally see them. 
And you know this if you've ever been stuck in traffic or stuck in a line for an abnormal amount of time. Why? Because we hate to wait. How many of you agree with me that some of our stupid, like most stupid decisions have been done in waiting seasons? When we get to the point where we feel like I've been waiting long enough, we have a tendency to make ra- irrational and unthought produce decisions. We just kind of do things. I'll show you in the Bible, Genesis chapter 16, 1 through 5, such a, such a moment exists. Abram is the, is the plot to our storyline here. He says this, Abram's wife, Sarai, had not born any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, they've been waiting for kids, they want kids to, to have a male in the house, and heir to this was a big deal at this time. So Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I could build a family. What? And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This is just nuts. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar. And she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contentable toward her. Then Sarai said to Abraham, you are responsible for my suffering. (laughs) Oh, snap, Jerry Springer just happened. (laughs) I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contentable to her. May the Lord judge between you and me. This story is crazy town. Now we're going to double down on it. We're going to continue into Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. Watch this. God said to Abraham, now their names have changed, we've progressed. As for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Are you hearing me? Okay, listen, I want you to lean in because it's important. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down because there's this promise that God had had previously to the Hagar moment and now is doubling down on and talking more about. Then he laughed and said to himself, can a child be born to a hundred year old man? He's old. They're old people. Can Sarah, a 90 year old woman, old, give birth Now watch what Abraham says to God. So Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael, that's the son's name who came from the Egyptian slave, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. Isn't it interesting in our hopelessness, we try to make God accept what he did not author. Say it one more time. In our hopelessness, we try to make God accept what he did not author. In other words, Sarah and Abraham got to this place where they no longer had hope in God's promises. And because they no longer had hope in God's promises, they had to pivot and they started making decisions on their own. They had to pivot because they had lost hope and now they were trying to produce what it is that they wanted. And in doing so, they chose and made decisions that were contrary to God's design. And at the end of the day, I just find it interesting, we've all done it, where we have a tendency because of our hopelessness to try and make God accept what he did not 
author, I wish if only Ishmael were accept to you. If only this relationship, almost up on toes now, were acceptable to you. If only this job were acceptable to you. I know that you have your way, but could you just bring it down a few notches and I'm going to give you my way. Can that be acceptable enough? And God is saying, no, that's not what I authored for you. If you would trust me in the hope, if you would trust me in waiting, if you would get good at standing in line, I will give you something greater than what you've produced on your own. Abraham, Sarah, us were guilty of hating the wait. They, in their issue with waiting, had lost hope and therefore tried to, make, tried to take matters into their own hands. Isn't that what we do when we lose hope? See, Advent, the season that we're in, was the interruption of a long period of waiting. Humanity was waiting for a rescuer, waiting for a king, waiting for a savior, and in the waiting, because they were frustrated and because they were irritated and because humanity had lost hope, out of that, idols were established. Evil and wicked kings had their reign. Political powers had ruled and hope had run out, or so it seemed. See, Jesus will always be our advent in seasons of waiting. And when we are in waiting, we've got to allow him to arrive in his perfect timing. So I don't know about you, but for me, if I'm honest, seasons of waiting make me susceptible to losing hope. Especially when I'm waiting on God, because I don't know if you've noticed, but he seems like he's super slow. Come on, can I get an amen in church today? Some of us don't want to talk this way. We're supposed to talk all good and nice. But like, if we're honest, God's kind of slow. Or is he right on time? And that's the wrestle, right? That's where the hope wrestle comes in. So what I want to do today is I want to work through what it looks like to wait with hope. To wait with hope. Specifically, I want to look at three decisions that each of us can make in order to wait in hope well. Can we do that today? All right, I need your help. Every shot number one. Here's the first decision we have to make. We have to fight the urge to fidget. We have to fight the urge to fidget. Psalm 37 verse 7 says this, Be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in what? His way. Notice what it says. Don't, don't fret over the one that prospers in his way. Have we ever done that before? Right? You're like, I'm following God and everything's going great for them. Seems like they've got everything together. They're getting the job. They're getting the person. They're getting the thing. And we're like, God, where are you at? If you're so good. If you're so good, where are you? And this is what the Bible's saying. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still before the Lord and wait. What? patiently for him. My son, he's a lover, not a fighter. More specifically, my son's a cuddler. He loves to cuddle. <laughs> he, likes to be, <laughs> he likes to be close to you at all times. And so um, we're working on his personal bubble situation. And uh, we're trying to coach him in things. Hey, buddy, like not everybody wants you up in their face, right? So, um, but he loves it. He's a cuddler. When he was a kid, he would always get into our bed and he wanted he want to be close to us. So I watched this play out the other day. We're homeschooling our, ki- our kids right now. Shiloh takes her computer and she goes, we have a big sectional couch. It's like an L. Shiloh goes to the furthest end of the couch. 
And she's up against the edge of it, right? And she's got her computer and she's working. And I was sitting in the kitchen and I was drinking my coffee and I was watching this thing play out. And Justice grabs his computer and he like gets it and he's like looking around as if he doesn't know where he's going to sit. <laughs> so he goes and he like <laughs> sheepishly kind of walks over and he plants himself right next to Eliana. Or uh, Shiloh. I have daughters. Um, so plants himself right next to her like their thighs are touching and then he opens his computer and his elbows are up in his bit like in her business and everything like that and she's like giving him the stank eye right and 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 this because this kid loves proximity he loves to like be close and cuddle and everything like that he was doing it to erica yesterday he's doing it to me but here's one of the reasons that we're kind of like hey have some space buddy is because when he cuddles he fidgets how many of you know a fidgeter right Four of you know a fidgeter. No, I think you know. Yeah, how, how many of you know the person that can't sit still? They're, they're always having to fidget, move, play with something. I chew on things. Seth plays the drumless. <laughs> Thighs. Fidget! All right? We all fidget. And he fidget. He can't sit still. He doesn't know how to just be in a moment of stillness. And, and when he's there, he's there for a second. And he loves the cuddling moment. But the moment is fleeting because after just a few moments, all of a sudden, he is all kinds of fidgety. And I just wonder if you've realized, like I have, we have a tendency to do the same thing with God. We have a tendency to fidget in our faith. That, hey, God, it's cool. I'll trust it. Like, I'll be hopeful for like a nanosecond. God's like, be still. Sit, settle. And we're like. And then all of a sudden. (laughs) We have no other option but to fidget, move. And here's what I've discovered about fidgeting. This is why we fidget. We fidget because we doubt. We fidget because we doubt. How about this one? We fidget because we're uncomfortable. How many of you would agree with me that waiting is uncomfortable? Have you waited in an airport line before? It's uncomfortable. Right? Here's another reason. We fidget because we're vulnerable. See, hope makes us feel vulnerable. Waiting makes us feel vulnerable. These are just a few of the many reasons that we tend to fidget in our faith. To wait and hope, we have to fight the urge to fidget. We have to fight the urge. We got to learn to be still. Come on, shout be still. still. Come on, shout still. Still. Come on, shout still. Still. We got to be still. All right. We have to fight the urge to move around. And I've found that stillness, check this out, is a product of hope. When we are hope filled, we are actually still. When my hope is waning, I start to get fidgety. Have you ever noticed that before? When all of a sudden my faith is waning, I start to, I have to, oh, I want to play around with that. Oh, I want to touch that. Oh, I want to mess with that. Oh, I want to, oh, and you're having to restrain yourself. But the, the less the hope is there, the more I get more fidgety. I get more active. I want to start to move around a little bit more. Why? Because being still isn't producing what I want it to produce. Stillness in our minds, our emotions, our activity, and our faith. We, when, when hope is not at the bottom, we talked about this last week, we tend to fidget more and more. I think that's something that we all do. Fidgeting in our minds looks like our thoughts and our thought lives wandering and not staying stable and causing us to not focus and set our mind on God's promises and truths. When we emotionally fidget, it looks like losing stability and consistency in our emotions. Being a person of extremes and finding ourselves all over the board. We tend to allow feelings to overrule truth, logic, and faith. Why? Because we're fidgety. 
See, when we're fidgety in activity, we tend to pile on all the tasks and to-dos that we can in order to feel productive because somehow we've convinced ourselves that waiting upon God is unproductive. When we're fidgety in our faith, we tend to over-spiritualize things and try to manufacture our own personal move of God. You see, God is very intentional. So even when it seems like he's not doing something by his very nature, he is. We look at God's inactivity and we think he's not doing anything and God sees that inactivity as doing something profound in our lives. What's he asking us to do? Be still. Be still. You know what's really funny is that somehow we've pasted God with modern day industry. We want God to operate in our calendar, our nine to five, in our financial quarters. Oh, come on. And we've put the industrial revolution upon God's time frame. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Let me just remind everybody what's going on. I am God. (laughs) How many of you have ever been in a waiting season before? Don't hate the wait. So we've got to fight the urge to fidget. We've got to be still. Number two, every shot, number two. Here's the second one. We have to resist the urge to retreat. We have to resist the urge to retreat. I love this. God is our refuge. Psalm 46, one through three. God is our refuge and strength. A helper who is always found in times of trouble. In other words, Psalm's communicating to us, hey, listen, he's found right where you're at in times of trouble. Notice that we find God in times of trouble. And the problem that many of us are engaged in is that we're retreating from times in trouble. And he's saying, no, wait, wait, wait. Can you meet me back in the trouble? I want to just throw this out here. You can process it how you need to, but is it possible that we are not experiencing God the way that we want to is because we're retreating from the very place that he's at. We're walking away from hard and he's like, wait a second, I need you to be right here with me. This is where I'm in hard. I'm in, I'm not over here at easy. I'm in hard. I'm the God who's, I'm your refuge and strength in times of trouble. Am I talking to anybody in church today? Therefore, he says, I will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Courtney Doctor said it like this, it's far too easy to view God's character through the lens of our situation instead of the other way around. See, to wait and not retreat means that we are the type of person that is conceptually ready to welcome something or someone. That we want, that we're in a position to hold the line and be willing to receive something. So let me, let me put it this way. Let me illustrate it this way. Waiting is actually a posture. It's not an emotional disposition. That'll change the way that you wait. When I view waiting as non-emotional and as a posture, as a little physical posture, what am I doing? I'm waiting to receive something. Right? When I stood at the end of the aisle and Erica was coming down that aisle, what was I doing? I was waiting to receive something. And I was not frustrated at waiting. Come on, somebody. I was waiting to receive something. I wasn't like standing around like, when is this girl going to get down here? Gee, what? It's like, no, I was waiting 
to receive her. So waiting is an actual posture. How many of you know you don't ever want to go to somebody's house who knows you're coming, but they're not waiting for you? Right? Like you knock on the door, you come over to my house, and I show up in my towel, answer the door in my towel, and they're like, I knew you were coming, but I wasn't waiting for you. How many of you know that's weird? <laughs> that's weird. So if we're going to hope, if we're going to have hope in the waiting, come on somebody, we have to resist the urge to retreat. Here's a big truth, if I can just reorient the thought process. The way that we do our waiting seasons directly impacts how we do our receiving seasons. In other words, the way that we wait determines the way we receive. But instead of hopeful waiting, we do frustrated retreating. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Do not tap out on time under tension. Do not tap out on time under tension. Don't hit the mat. Don't call yourself out. Don't hit the mat. Don't type out on time under tension. Let me illustrate it this way. Because remember that we're talking about not retreating. And being under tension is really hard for us. Don't tap out on it. I was at the gym yesterday. Um... We're working out at Lifetime Fitness now for the duration of winter time because my garage is way too cold to do anything in. <laughs> and so I went to the gym at about 3.30 yesterday. I'm in the gym and I'm getting my workout on and uh, having fun, kind of clearing my head and everything like that. I got to the last, last exercise of the day, walked over to the mirrored area and uh, got my weights. I pulled out these 25-pound dumbbells. I come over here and I put them down. In front of my feet, and I looked in the mirror, because that's apparently what you have to do at Lifetime Fitness. So says most everybody in there. And so how many of you would agree with me, like, Lifetime Fitness is a social experiment at best. And so I'm standing there, and I'm, and I'm getting ready, and, and I saw this, <laughs> saw this exercise on, online, and I was like, well, I'll try that, because I don't know what else I'm doing. So I picked up, in the exercise with this, you pick up the dumbbells, and then you, like, do a curl, and then you do a press. And I was like, okay, cool, this is good. Ooh, I feel the burn. Fantastic, right? <laughs> So I did my first set, eight and half-ish reps. I put, the, I put the weights down. This girl comes over, and I kid you not, I am not exaggerating this story. I'm just going to set this up now, and I'm going somewhere with it. So just track with me, okay? This girl comes over, and she was ripped. Like, Bruh. And so automatically, like, there's that thing inside of you as a guy to get competitive. So I was, like, posturing all of a sudden. <laughs> My arms were tired, so I put my arms back here to hold them up. She comes over. She stands next to me where that pulpit's at. She looks at me. She looks down at my weights. She walks over. She grabs 45-pound dumbbells. I kid you not. And she comes back over and stands by me. She looks at me. Then she engages in the same exercise I was doing. pink pants on, I'm just going for it, 45s, and I got my 25 sitting in front of me, and I'm watching this lady, and no joke, when she gets done with that first set, she looks at me, and then looks back, and looks at herself in the mirror, so I had no other option but to kind of go with this, so she goes down to pick up her set, she was doing 12 to 15, I think, in her set range, I was, I was counting, <laughs> so... 
So she picks up her weights, and the minute she picks up her weights, I was like, well, no rest. And so I picked up the weight, right? And, she, and then I tried to track with her because this is just how my mind works. And so she's like, burr, burr, and I'm going for it as well. And so now I'm going with her. I get to my eight and a half reps, and I put it down, and she keeps on going. And then at the end of the day, she puts it down. So now I'm competing with this lady at Lifetime Fitness who could probably lift me over her head. And, and I'm in the throes of this competition, and this is just the way that it works. And so I'm sitting here, we're going through it. Well, as we got into like the last set ranges, three and four, the fourth one, my, like I'm, my life's on fire at this point. Everything game over, I'm seeing stars, and she's just going. Sweat's coming off of her. Th- she got muscles here, 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 everywhere. And it's glittering in the sun. And so... All of a sudden, this is happening, and I get, to, I get into this last set, and I'm trying to go with her, and she's starting to smirk, like, you know, like, I've got this guy, what is he talking about, and everything like that. My arms are on fire, I can no longer, <laughs> I can no longer, this was at the end of my workout, so. <laughs> so I can no longer get like this, and now all of a sudden, I am just like throwing my body into it to try to get these over my head, and she's still like strict pressing, right? And so I'm just like, ah! Just like waving in the, you know those things out in front of car dealerships? That's what. (laughs) That's what I look like with 25 pound weights, right? I kid you not, in the throes of this moment, this scripture. comes to mind in this moment. Philippians, and I think this is why God has a sense of humor. Philippians 3, 12 through 15. That was her rep cycle. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken a hold of by Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all who are mature think this way. Keep on going. Do not retreat. Stay under tension. Keep lifting, even if it looks weird. Some of us want our faith to look so good. <laughs> Think about that, don't we? We want, we want swaggerized faith. It's not even a word. We want our faith to look so good. We want our faith to look so postured and faith to look so mature. But I'm not going to lie, guys. Sometimes my faith looks like the thing out in front of the car dealership. Right? This is my worship. <laughs> this is my Bible reading. <laughs> this means making it through the day. <laughs> We've got to resist the urge to retreat. We have not been called to have pretty faith. We've been called to have crucified faith. Why do you think 
that Jesus would go to the cross in its brutality, but somehow our faith is supposed to be so pristine, so sanitized, so beautiful. I haven't been called to have pretty faith. I've been called to have crucified faith. That's why Jesus would say, pick up your cross and follow me. I want you to put it on your back. Do not retreat. Keep on going because I got you to the end of this thing. I got hope in my waiting. I've come to find out that we've lost hope and we tend not to do hard. And it's really interesting to me, the people that I meet who claim spiritual maturity yet can't do hard things. It's hard for me to be around people who claim spiritual maturity but can't stay put. Because we're good at slinging words that sound faith-filled and religious. But can you be still? Can you be in the middle of your heart? Can you not worry about what you look like in it or what I look in it like in it? Can we be mature Christ followers? And mature Christ followers, they got a cross on their back. And they are walking to the place that God has called them to. And I'm carrying this thing and it is not pretty. It is bloody. It is brutal. It is nasty. It is gross looking. It doesn't look the prettiest. But come on, we have not been called to cross the line looking good. And I watch it in this generation. I watch it in this generation, I'm about to dig right now. I watch it in this generation where our faith statements are manicured to fit in Instagram posts. But nobody's taking pictures of the blood. Nobody's taking pictures of the sweat. Nobody's taking pictures of the tears. Nobody's taking pictures, nobody's posting on Facebook, today I got my butt handed to me in this faith game. Nobody's taking pictures like that. We paste all the beautiful things, all the nice things. Faith is not an Instagram post. It is a life lived with hope. It is a life lived with tenacity. Do not retreat. I want to keep going. (laughs) Number three, I got to get to the last one. Number three. We have to cut out the urge to control. If we're going to have hope in the waiting, we have to cut out the urge to control. I hate this next piece of scripture. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I love that. Yeah, that's, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And do not rely on your own understanding. <laughs> Why? Because we love our understanding. We love what we know. We love, like, I know, I know so much. (laughs) Come on, have you ever been there, dear? I read articles. And I read books. Leaders are readers. I love my feelings. And they inform most of what I do. They help me understand. Lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways, not just some, know him. And he will make your path straight. Courtney Doctor said it like this, and I love this quote. She said, if you're waiting on something, remember that ultimately it's the Lord that you're waiting on. 
Here's what I've come to find out. Control is what we do when we've come to the place that we believe he no longer has it. Control is what we do when we've come to the place that we believe he no longer has it. We call it hopelessness. When I have no more hope, I take control. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? I'm gonna make it happen now. Erica is, uh, her and I have an agreement in our marriage. It saves our marriage. (laughs) And that is when we travel to different cities or foreign places, she drives. And that's mainly because I lose my mind in unfamiliar territory in a car. (laughs) It saves my marriage. It saves my salvation. (laughs) All of those things. (laughs) And uh, so she takes the wheel. She drives and she's better at holding herself together in in those moments. You know, the funny thing is, is I realized as I was thinking about that the other day, that's what we do with God. Many of us, we get into new territory, new places and spaces. And like the song we're singing, we we know he's done it over here. But for some reason, because we're a new place, I'm going to take the wheel now, bud. Like, God, I've got this. And maybe, and I cannot remember who wrote the song, but maybe they're right. Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) Corny statement, but so true. Because some of us are fighting God over the wheel of our lives. When our lives are in chaos and when our lives are out of control, I want to suggest maybe just maybe it's because we have our hand on the same wheel that God has his hand on. And we're jerking things around because we're trying to pull it from him. And I've come to find out that's a scary car to be in. How many of you know if Erica's got her hand on the wheel and I got my hand on the wheel, I want to go left and she wants to go right and I want to go backwards and she wants to go forward. If you're looking at the car that's in front of you and it's us, we are all over the place. That's a scary thing to be around. And I think that's why our lives look at that sometimes because ultimately God's got his hand on one side, we got ours on the other side and we're jerking the vehicle of our life around to get what it is that we want. He's just simply saying, will you let go? Will you put your hands up? Will you surrender? Will you have hope? God, but you don't know. This is my job. I got this job. Did you? But God, you, this, is, this is my relationship. I got this relationship. Did you? God, this is my money. I got this money. Did you? This is my, this is my, this is mine. He said, would you just let go of the wheel of your life? Because you've already proven we're not the best drivers. Man, this is my prayer this Christmas. Is that this wouldn't just be a Christmas series. That hope wouldn't just be an Advent season thing. That hope wouldn't be a holiday four-letter word. That hope would be who we are. That 
hope would be how we live. Hope is so much bigger than this Christmas season. Hope is so much more than the Advent season. Hope is so much more than the nice sounding things and feeling things of this moment in December. Hope is a place that we live. Hope is a person that we reside in. Hope is a disposition that we act out of. Hope is the way that we think. Hope is the way that we profess. Hope is the way that we feel. Hope is the way that we behave. Hope is the way that we live. Hope is the way that we sing. Hope is the way that we see.